Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I've been filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, I'm pleasing him in all respects, I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And again, I prophesy to you that that will be your portion today in Jesus' name. Amen. It will happen that for the next few minutes or two hours we may be here. God will in every moment speak to you this evening in the name of Jesus. Amen. And if anyone is listening to this by medium, you know, on the internet, on a device, the Spirit will ride upon these words and impart life into you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The, Lord, the Word will enter your heart. Amen. It will give you light. Amen. It will give you direction. Amen. It will heal you in every area. Amen. And most importantly, it will bring forth the likeness of Jesus more than ever before in your life. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please, can you just bless three, four people around you before you take your seats? All right, so let's, co- let's continue looking at um, the gospel of change, which we have been looking at for some time. And what we have been trying to explain is the fact that change starts inside us. It doesn't start from the outside. And anything that we are seeing outside, God has given them to us as indicators of what might be going on actually inside us. The fact is that God is not solving physical problems. That's not what he's solving primarily in our lives. What he's solving are eternal issues. What he's solving are eternal conditions of our heart, which we abide into eternity. What the Lord is doing is carving for himself an exact image of Jesus Christ from every one of us. That's what he's doing. And so he's not primarily trying to solve physical problems for us. What he's doing is that spiritual thing so that each one will be pure, purified, made ready for the master, made ready like a pure bride, all right, to participate in the wedding of the lamb. That's what he's doing. And when he's doing that in the realm of the physical, different things may go on. I said something to us the other time, and let's be careful when we are making judgments. God saw it fit to perfect, to a large extent, Jacob in the house of Laban. Laban was not a nice man. Laban, however, was necessary for the perfection of Jacob. It's very important. And listen, when I look at this earth, I said it the other time, what we, I see it as is a place of processing, a place where God passes us through so that we'll come forth as gold. So let's be careful. So the fact that somebody is being purified in an environment like this does not mean all right, the fellow has a problem. I don't know whether you are getting my point. That is, see, there's a way silver is purified. There's a way gold is purified, and there are two different ways. The kind of things that work for silver do not work for gold. If you put the kind of pressure you put on gold on silver, you might ruin it. There's a kind of, what you apply to one person is not what you apply to the other individual. What God applied to Jacob was not what he used for his father, Isaac. There were different set of circumstances because they are totally different people. And if you've raised children, you will understand that. They are just different. They're just born different. It's not you. They're just born different. 
but you have to bring forth righteousness and godliness in each individual. So you have to adapt the principles of teaching and discipline and experiences differently in the life of one person, all right, compared to the life of another person. So when God wanted to deal with Abraham, he used a different set of events and a different set of relationship uh, manifestations. When he wanted to deal with um, Isaac, he did something differently. And when it was time to deal with Jacob, he did with him differently. So Jacob had to go to the house of Laban. Okay, for his purification to be effective. God had to meet him on the way, injure him a bit, and leave that wound on him permanently for his purification to be perfect. So sometimes God will pass some of us through situations different from what he will pass another person through. It does not mean I will say, I don't like my situation. My name is Jacob. I will run from the house of Laban and go and perfect myself the way God perfected Isaac. Let's bear that in mind. Let me say this again. Christians should learn to think with eternity in mind. Don't think like, uh, you know, you know, as if life just starts the day you were born and it's going to end the day you die. And you are going to, assuming you live very, very long and you, you, you outlasted everybody in this current age, you live to be 120 years and that's all it is. So what you are thinking is that for 120 years, what am I going to say? I got from this earth. You get my point? Like one brother said to me, I said, why are you making this move? He said, I believe that I have to get the best out of life. And that's how the, an, an average worldly person thinks. Let no good thing pass me by. You understand my point? I have to live this life to the fullest. I see that's all there is to life. But a Christian understands that, mm, no, it's not like that. One day after now, I am going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm going to give account for my life. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to do that, okay? So when I'm making my decisions, it's not what can I get maximally out of life. It is how can I maximally, two things, how can I maximally become like the Lord Jesus? And number two, the thing that he placed inside me as an assignment that I must fulfill on this earth, how can I do it maximally? I am not looking, I just feel like saying it again. I'm not looking for where there is no need for my light so that I can shine. No, I look for where my light is needed so I can shine. So if I have problems surrounding me, I don't just run away from problems except, listen to this, first thing I check is, is this hindering my ability to shine according to the gift of God that he placed inside me? If the answer is no, why am I running away from it? I hope you're getting my point here. Why am I running away from it? Many times people have asked me before, um, and this church, and the way this thing I know, uh, should I live, should I not live? There are two things I used to tell people. I said, number one, like if you are serving there, I said, there are two reasons you go to a church. You are a member of a church. This is our modern day description of what the church is. There are two reasons. One, you are being blessed. You are being built up. Two, you are blessing people. You are building people up. You are exercising your gift for the benefits of brethren there. I said, if these two things are not in place, you have to get out. There's no negotiating it. You have to find, you know, because there are times people will tell you that I, the way they're doing that church, I don't understand anything they're doing. You disagree with, the, with, the, with what they preach all the time. Some practices, they almost make you sweat. I've had to counsel with a lot of times. They say, they say we should do this one. I don't believe in it, and I'm a leader in the church. So there are things I look, I say, is it bad? It's not bad. Is anybody going to take an example from you? No. Eh, do it and let's have some peace now. Let me give an example now. Let's assume they say, well, enter you come to the church. You must bow and stay there. <laughs> for two minutes. Is there anything wrong with that? They're not saying you should bow to a, a God somewhere. Just bow. Hey, bow now and, uh, you know, pray. And then after two minutes, you go in. He said, but it's not in the Bible. It is also not in the Bible that thou shall not bow when you're entering church to pray. Just leave that matter. It's not a serious matter. But there's, one of my sisters told me once that 
in her church. They say she has to learn to groan. So the church, they, they pray with groanings. That is, they pray in English, they speak in tongues, and after they finish speaking in other tongues, they now enter another level of groaning. Some of you are laughing. You have not grown before. <laughs> I mean, you have not had serious problems. There are times, you don't need a doctrine. At times you get down on your knees and your heart is overwhelmed. God says, what do you want? Say, <clears throat> what can I do for you? <clears throat> you can't speak in tongues. You can't do anything. You are just... <clears throat> so, but some people say that, no. That is a part of prayer that is groaning. So my sister went to this church for like 20 years. Then one day the leaders of the church now called her that you are going to start leading prayer. Ah, you're like, eh? <laughs> and the way they do it is that after you have learned in English, you lead in other tongues. You have no problem with the other tongues part. Then you're not leading groaning. I said, sorry, how do you do that really? <laughs> Brother, it's time to pray. Everybody now start groaning. Oh, now you can't used to go to a groaning church. This one that is laughing there. They, they, had the, they had the groaning period in his church when he was growing up. Why is he behaving one kind sometimes? You know where he started from. It's the groanings of his youth. <laughs> so my sister said, what am I supposed to do? I said, sis, can you grow? He said, no. Then tell her you can. I said, if you cannot grow, you cannot grow. No. If you do it out of faith, your stomach will bust. Are you getting my point? Yes, you know, that is, everything must be done what? By faith. If this one without faith, you start groaning. <clears throat> Anything you see, your eye will collect too. Because, so that was the end of a relationship of 20 something years. Yeah, because it wouldn't budge that if you're a leader, you must groan. Ah. And the sister said, Pastor, not vexed, I know if it groan. No, so there are times like that. You know, so, but when it's not, a, that was the doctrinal matter. They said you have groaning. Ah. All the while she's been enduring, everybody's groaning, she'll be praying in tongues and praying in English and praying in her local dialect. But when they said, go to the front and lead the groaning. I've seen brethren do it before anyway. It's very nice. <laughs> All right, the Lord is good. So I tell people that, so these are the reasons. So if you're in a church, you are not a blessing to anybody, okay? And you are not being blessed. There's nothing being nice about it. Just simply get up and walk away. Because what's happening is that your faith is being reduced by that environment on a daily basis. It is being reduced by that environment on a daily basis. Now, what am I trying to say? That's how we judge life, we believers. We are thinking about just two things concerning our lives. The faith, that is, the development of Christ's character in us, that's one. Number two, how do we exercise the gift of God that is inside us? Listen, once you've answered those two questions, whether there's constant power in your country or there's no constant power, is not the issue. You don't make judgments based on where economy is good, where economy is bad. You don't make judgments based on where security is fantastic. You know there's nowhere that's secure on this earth. You know. You're just relative. Some there's more violence, some there's less violence, but everywhere is unsafe. People talk about kidnapping in Nigeria. When they kidnap in Nigeria, 99% of the times we find the people that were kidnapped. Just cost us money. Two of us. One white man relocated himself to Nigeria. Went and married an Asian woman. Didn't marry a white woman. Married an Asian woman and brought her to Nigeria. So his colleagues at work said that, are you not afraid? He said, afraid of what? There's crime in Nigeria. He said, hey, the crime in Nigeria is economic. They can kidnap you. He said, I will pay them. He said, in my country, if you are kidnapped, you'll never be found. He said, the man who kidnapped you does not need money. He just wants to kill you and enjoy the process of killing you. He will cut you bit by bit. 
There's one clown I saw, I read the story that they finally caught him. He will advertise for a woman to come and do one work for him. He had a large plot of land. And you go there and apply. That's the end of your life. Yes. You will not go and marry normal, just, normal men will go and chase a woman. Even if you don't marry her and those people, you go and cohabit, whatever it is. He doesn't do that. He's only when he needs another woman, you advertise again that I need a housekeeper, this and that. You advertise a fantastic job. And most people who come to apply are not, you know, they are immigrants and all of that. And that's, he will catch that one, chain her down. And that's his sex leave till he's tired. And when he's tired, he'll kill her and bury her at the back in the woods. You'll never find her. She's an immigrant. Few people are looking for her anyway. This one that they finally found with him. She came to apply for the job, but she came with her boyfriend. So he shot the man and killed him. Buried him and chained the woman. Not inside the house, inside a container. This is Texas. Texas is hot. One day somebody reported, how did they find, catch him? Somebody reported another matter. So police came to invest, investigate something else while he was not around. And the woman inside the container, you know what they call container? This, you no know, 16 feet, this is our normal, no, no, not caravan. Container, this one will, will cost to do shop. Yeah, normal container. So imagine the heat inside Texas. She has been there for over four weeks. Oh, yes. So when she heard noise, she's chained, of course, that's what he does. Started banging on the walls of the container. That's when police came, broke the thing open. It's a seven life imprisonment right now, if he's not on death row. That's not told the story. They now found where he buries people that he kills. So, look, last time I traveled, my friend we were, took the daughter to school. We were just talking. I said, I was okay, telling the father that ah, this was where the girl, the, the girl was kidnapped last week. I'm not sure at that time they had found the girl. So there's no, there's no safety. Mad men are all over the world. It's the cause of their madness. They are varies from one place to the other. In Nigeria, most mad people are poor. They are broke. And they have a gun. So why not kidnap you and make money? Those countries are not broke. They ain't poor. Just look at you. Why are you black like this? <laughs> That's all. You don't have any part in this country. Then they start shooting you. So I'm not going to say there's no way they're safe in this world. I don't want to start telling you bad stories, but if you hear these stories, there are all kinds of crazy stories. You know the story of one guy who was in his house, JJ. One policewoman finished work. Went and parked her car on the wrong floor because he could drive. They have ramps to drive. So because she parked on the wrong floor, she entered the wrong flat, which was one above hers. Saw movement inside her house, pulled a gun, and killed the fellow. The man was dead when they found that it's not her flat. Your flat is downstairs, ma'am. Yes. She said she, she thought he was an intruder. A burglar. A burglar watching TV, eating conflicts. But she was stressed out. She had, been, she had been at work for about 24 hours. She had killed the guy before she knew. And of course, he was black, you know. She was white. I was an immigrant from one of these Caribbean islands. A young accountant. Oh, guess what? He died. She's in prison now. They tried to found her guilty of second-degree murder. <laughs> There's no way that he's safe. People are walking their own JJ in London. The woman will just carry knife, start killing, stabbing people at random. I'll be shouting, Allah Akuba, Allah Akuba, stabbing Allah Akuba, Allah Akuba. <laughs> then police will rush down, quickly shoot him. Four people are dead. Some people are walking on the road. The man will just steal a van. Vroom! And start jamming them, one after the other. You are looking for safety. Better get on your knees in the morning. Say, Lord, put in thy name, O oh Lord, I go. 
my daily labor to pursue. You need to pray. That. Sing, go and learn that song. Pray it every morning. So there's a God that can protect you. Don't think that too, right? You know, the crime in Nigeria is too much, you know? <laughs> you get to Europe, there's no crime. There are some new Nazis waiting to shoot you. The day you arrive, they look at you. You look Nigerian and say, yes, boom. And they bring your body back for us to bury. Say, so you went to look for safety. Because she has shown that the safety is of the Lord. Let, let's get it clear. I'm not trying to paint any country good or bad or anything. I'm just letting you know. There's no safety anywhere. Where do, where do you want to go on this earth? Where? I'm just thinking about it. There's nowhere. One of our brothers said that the day I heard the story, I cried. He was, he was he's a soldier fighting Boko Haram for over a year. Fighting. Was it medical? Fighting. Sent me emails a few times. Referred him to Pastor Courage. Pastor Courage said he was a faithful man. He rushes from work to church. In Meduguri, many times in his uniform. Military officer, an officer. Then one day sent me a mail that has been transferred. Two Pastor Courage will be leaving town. They transferred him to the south. He died 45 minutes out of town in a car accident. A man that bullets did not kill in almost two years. A man that had been to battle, fighting. His colleagues had dropped beside him. He has seen war. Then finally he said, my war is over. And he entered the car, and the car had an accident. Nobody shot at it. Nobody jammed it. Maybe tire bus flipped over a few times. Pastor Corey called me and said, Did, have you heard? I said, heard what? Your friend is dead. I said, how can he die? He just left battlefront. You know, maybe what happened? Now, this is not really true, sir. How am I saying it? Maybe people say, okay, now he's no longer in, at risk. So they relax the prayer, and now he died. Yeah, because, no, even me, I was happy for him when he told me they had been transferred. Of course, you don't stay in battlefront forever. They move people around. So they decided, okay, you've been here for too long. You, move back to where life is cooler. On his way out of town, he had an accident and died. 45 minutes after leaving the battlefront. You are looking for safety in life. I've told you, kneel down beside your bed. And say, Lord, keep me. Guide me. Protect me. Guard me. Hide yourself in him. There's nowhere that's safe. There's nowhere that is safe. People say, I will never, I won't fly a plane again. Plane, they crash. More people die on the road to the airport than die inside plane crashes. That's not, that's statistical fact I've given you. There are people that are not, they didn't go anywhere. They just sat at home and they just died on their chair. So like we're saying, there's nowhere that is safe in life. Nowhere. Nowhere. Nowhere that is safe in this life. I was just trying to emphasize to us again how we Christians make decisions. We don't look for anything outside God. Provisions we look for only inside Him. Protection we look for only inside Him. When we have found those things inside Him, then He locates us where he has created us. Listen, life is not a game of chance. I say that all the time. Where you are supposed to be each time is decided in heaven. Whether you will be in that right place or not is decided by how you rearrange your thought processes with the right doctrines. That's what happens. Did you hear what I said? 
whether you'll be in the right place or not, is determined by how you rearrange your thought processes with the right doctrines, with the right truths. That's what decides it. Christians oftentimes are taught pray and hear God. You know, you know my own doctrine. I've read the Bible. I didn't see that whole thing there. Because people hear what they want to hear. Balaam heard clearly and it was wrong. I keep on saying that. Balaam was not a perceived in my spirit. He, heard, he used to hear with his ears. It was clear. But it was wrong. Israel heard clearly from the mouth of Moses. Moses said to them, Thus says the Lord. They were not in doubt. And Moses heard the Lord directly. Went to the tent of meeting and God came and said, Tell them they can divorce their wives, give a certificate of divorce. Then when Jesus came, the way, the truth, and the life, he said it was not correct. Ah! But Moses said it clearly. Having heard from God, he said, yes, because of the hardness of your heart, God said that to you. He said in the beginning it was not so. That means they heard God clearly and they were wrong. So whether you will be in the right place or not, it's not decided by what you heard. I'm not impressed by how long you prayed till God spoke to you. It doesn't impress me at all. Because if you got there to go and pray, to hear what you want to hear, which you did not know, that's what you were doing. At the end of the day, it can take you three weeks. You will hear what you wanted to hear. What we do with prayer is to convert ourselves to the will of God. And when I say the will of God, it's not, should I stand, should I sit? No. The will of God is... is when I stand, what am I looking for? When I sit, what am I thinking about? For example, what is the will of God? Not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south comes exaltation. Is there no good the will of God? Is Lagos the will of God? Is South Africa the will of God? Is United States the will of God? That's not the primary will of God. Those are secondary things. The primary thing is, do you understand what the Bible says in that Psalm 75? That not from the east nor the west, nor the south, comes exaltation. That God is judge. He's the one that brings down one and lifts up another. Do you understand it? It's what we are talking about. If you understand that, if it's firmly established in your heart, if you have what you call the epignosis of it, a full persuasion, a true knowledge of it, to be easy, and God a lot of times will leave it to you to decide whether you want to go to Enugu or go to Lagos, or you want to go to the U.S., or go to South Africa. A lot of times, I'm not joking about that, he will leave it to you. Because he knows that while thinking with the right thoughts in your heart, you will make the right decision. He knows. He's not in doubt. For him, that is what you call, when you talk about the will of God, the will of God for him is, do you understand Psalm 75, verse 6? Do you understand verse 7? Do you understand that it is not from the, that is, for him, that is what they call the will of God. That is why the will of God can be understood. If your heart is not right, no matter what you hear, it is wrong. I hope you're getting my point here. You want to pray, should I marry this man or not marry this man? It is not a Lord, uh, uh, it is complexion, it is the one, the one I saw in the dream. Look, you can dream of any color, it depends on the glass you are wearing before you sleep. Do you get my point? No, true. Those things don't impress me. When people say the dream, you don't know, look, there's what they call, what the Bible calls the multitude of activities. It, it affects how you dream. It's in the Bible like that. A hungry man can go to bed and dream that he ate. He wakes up, the Bible says he's still hungry. Why was he dreaming of food? Was God speaking to him, thou shalt eat? No, because I'm not giving you anything to eat. Leave it like that. Why is he dreaming of food? 
He's hungry. The desires of his heart speak to him in his dreams. So that's not it. What God wants to tell you is that, listen, a human being is not the way out of poverty. Get it clear. He said, you want to know my will? Do you understand that? Do you understand that, like I always say to women, I've not said in a long time. Ah, I've not said in a long time. I need to say it once in a while. Do you understand you are not a project in life? I want to marry a man that can take care of me. With all the problems in this world, I'll look for somebody else to add to the problems I have to solve. Do, do I look like a gluten for punishment? A lot of women is lucky. Preach from now to tomorrow. It's inside their hearts. You know, some people are so stubborn. One day I went to preach somewhere. I was just telling the story of how I met this, my good wife. And I, when I went to ask her to marry me, I went and bought ring for 300 naira. Even that time, 300 naira was not a lot of money. It was a cheap ring, costume. It wasn't gold. You know why I didn't buy gold? Should I tell you the reason? You want the revelation? I'll give revelation to you. It's in the Bible. <laughs> it is acceptable according to what a man has. <laughs> oh, you're waiting for a big revelation? No. I couldn't afford it, that's all. Nothing, nothing spiritual. <laughs> I was preaching, I have to explain it. I said, big congregation that day, I said to them, I gave it to my wife. One girl, you know, and the Holy Spirit wanted to catch her. The Holy Spirit just narrowed my eyes on her at the back as she said it. She told her friends, I won't take it. Some people don't respect the word of God, though. Even if you're rebel in your heart, pretend when you're in church. God, paradventure, God will have mercy. By the time you open your mouth and openly rebel, you don't stop rebel. And listen, you know, God, you know, I preach the fear of God now. Isn't it? It's always telling them on radio that this man preaches the fear of God. You hear it. <laughs> I magnify my office. I like it. Let me tell you, there are things you don't say. When you stir up, she not only said it to herself, she said it to her friends, that by stirring up rebellion against the word of God, God will have to judge you, except you repent. God, in the presence of those your friends, God will say, nobody will offer you rope. You're talking about a ring. Rope like this, they will not offer you. Just watch. <laughs> Some people are so stubborn. <laughs> they don't go. I look, that day, I answered the girl. She, I'm sure she was shocked. How did this man, of course, she didn't know I knew she was the one. I didn't look in her direction, I began to answer. I said, oh, you will not take it. Let me tell you other things you wouldn't take. Let me not sit on that one now. Preach that it tomorrow. One day we finished doing a program on campus. I was in university at that time. One sister got to her room. You know what she told her friends? Oh, that one that that reverend said is his own. Me? <laughs> I'm still going to find a talk that can handsome man to marry. After we are finished preaching, I wasn't the one preacher, I was a student. They are finished preaching. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. All those things have been preached. You still go and say, as far as I'm concerned, you know, they are, anyway, she was still young. Because God has a way of giving up on people after a while. He will give you somebody after your lost and send leanness into your souls. Anyway, so what is the will of God in that area? It's for you to understand. A man is not the deliverer from poverty. That's it. He's not. So you don't look at the man to deliver you from poverty. If you want to be delivered from poverty, pray about it. Jesus is the deliverer. You pray about that first and settle it in your soul and recognize that I am a blessing to somebody. I am going into somebody's life to be a blessing to him. Pray. Take the word of God, bathe yourself with God's word, and realize you are carrying the anointing for wealth. That if you jam a man that has the spirit of poverty, the spirit of wealth in you will cast it out of him. That's like 
just how a child of God reasons. That if, you're, if everything was right with you, you wouldn't need me. You know, God said everything was perfect, right? Good, 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 very good. Then God looked again. He said, mm, what did I say before? The Lord said it is very good. He said, now I say it is not good. You know, the Bible says, you know, God said something is not good. Who was it that was not good? Adam. His situation was not good. He said, it is not good. What is not good? Adam is alone. Adam has a problem. Let me solve it for him. So you see yourself as a solution. Not an ornament to hang on the wall. When the man has done everything. He has built a big business, a big career, built a house, bought three cars, one for the wife that will come. You know? And then his mother now says, there's something missing in this house. What is missing in this house? He now go and look for, uh, look for you as a trophy to add. He <laughs> now hang you on the wall. You are not the wife of his youth. I'm just talking about the Bible because the will of God. The will of God is how we reason. When we have finished reasoning like this, listen to what I want to say again. In the midst of perfect reasoning like that, we will make common sense decisions and to be the exact will of God. Why? Because for us now, what you call common sense, our sense is the word of God. It's not the common street sense. It is God's word. Many of the decisions I make in life, it's simply because I say, this one, one, it has been framed by God's word, two, I have to be able to defend it. When I was coming to Enugu those days, the typical Nigerian, you know, what do you call it now? Anyway, the Nigerian mindset, geopolitical reasoning, tribalism, all those things, it was presented to me too. But certain things have been taught to me ahead of time. One of them, the earth is a loss and the fullness thereof. The world and everybody inside it. I learned that one before. Everybody is under my father's geopolitical zone. You hear what I said? Whether you are Kanuri, Ibibio, whatever you are, you are in my father's geopolitical zone. Why? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and everyone that dwells in it. It's either you believe it or you don't believe it. If you believe it, you'll not be afraid of a lot of things. And like I, the Holy Spirit summarizes it through my mouth for many people. I said, Joseph was not an Egyptian. Yet he was favored. He was the most favored individual in the land. I believe that doctrine. The God said to me, Banky, thou shalt go to Enugu. I didn't hear such a voice. But it made it, that is like that reasoning, made it possible for me to receive the promptings of the Lord. Yes, it was an unusual move. Not because of, I was afraid of anything. But because I had only been to Enugu once in my life before that time. And not, there was nothing special I was being offered anyway. So God had to confirm it different ways. Different ways. The will of God is how you reason. It's not what voice you heard. I hope you're getting my point here. How will we get into that? Anyway, I was trying to explain something. That, so that's how we reason as children of God. We can easily make decisions if we have the right thoughts. Our brother had got a job in a bank. He was about to, he had filled every form. Just submit a particular form and we'll post it to where you're supposed to be. Then he came to the office and picked the book, Don't Quit the Army. The Holy Spirit just said to him, in effect, the job you're about to take, you are quitting the army where I placed you. Your current posting in my, what do you call it? Uh, in, my, in my army, yes. Your current posting in my military. You were about to quit it. That's it. He walked away from the job. 
The Holy Spirit said to him, my son, thou shalt not take the job. No. Just by hearing that word, that every child of God is on assignment, he looked at where he was at that particular point in time, and he realized he was in the war front. He couldn't pull back. You know what God said? The sons of Ephraim, they were armed. Yet in the day of battle, what did they do? They turned back and broke my covenant. Many people turn back every time. They are armed with the word of God, armed with truth, armed with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And somebody says that, ah, that battlefront is hard. There's soft bed here. And the man drops the bow, drops the arrow, drops the shield, drops the spear, and goes. And why did he leave? He said, God spoke to me to go home. We said, God is solving what? Eternal problems, not temporal problems. Using your adversity, he's solving eternal problems for you. Never miss out on the lessons God is bringing, that the things God is teaching you in life and the development he's taking you through. In due season, he will take Jacob out of the house of labor. In due season. Listen, Jacob was there for 20 years. It wasn't two days, though. I hope you understand that. It wasn't two days. Why was he there for 20 years? That's how long it took God to form him to the point where he wanted him to get to. If God decides that he wants to shape you in the house of Laban, don't be in a hurry to get out of the house of Laban. Because you must understand that the temporal comfort is not what he's doing. We have to look at the things that are not sin. The things that are sin, the Bible says they are temporal. The things that are not physically apparent are the eternal things that he's working on. Environmental things are just signs many times for us on where we need to make corrections. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Other things will be added to you. If things are not added, he's just telling you, you're not seeking the right things. But many times we turn the things that are not added to our major prayer points. They are not supposed to be. They are supposed to help us know that we should seek what is right. That's the thing we have been talking about. Remember, I said something I said some time ago. I feel like repeating because I want to just connect something from there today and then we'll close. Remember that we are the ones that pour forth God's blessings onto the earth we are on. And that is our own environment. Now I'm speaking a bit geographically located now. There is a blessing, or let me say, there is a curse that's hanging. I've discussed that before. The curse of harm is there, but the blessing is only found in Christ. And I've already explained that the blessing, when somebody taps into God's blessings, he now needs to walk according to the precepts of God for the blessing that he has received from heaven to become manifested on the earth. That's the way it works. So the degree to, to which you and I, African Christians, Nigerian Christians, learn okay, to walk according to divine precepts. Let me explain something. It reminds us of something we said before. If God places a curse on people, all right, you must understand this. There's what is called the justice of God, the righteousness of God. If you do what is right, even though he places a curse on you, the curse cannot come. The curse cannot come, even though it's God is the one that placed it. So, one of the operations of a curse is to instigate people to do that which is wrong. Did you hear what I said? One of the operations of a curse is to instigate people to do that which is wrong. For example, Rehoboam, at least you know the story very well. God had placed a judgment upon the house of David as a result of the activities of Solomon. That is going to split the house up. Then Rehoboam was made king after Solomon. 
And the men said, the, the latter days of your father was bad. Or they were bad. Now that you have, you, you have the opportunity to make things right, please do what is right. So Rehoboam said, let me talk to my young guys. Those guys said, look, this is our opportunity. These old men, want to, they want to ruin our opportunity. So you know the rest of the story. Rehoboam listened to those young boys, his friends, and refused to listen to the counsel of the older people. And as a result, rebellion started against his house. Jeroboam was called, and Jeroboam became king. Now, Ahijah had met Jeroboam, tore his clothes in, um, tore a garment into 12, and given, and he had given him 10 pieces. Now, this one I want to make. Do you know, if Rehoboam did not do what he did, Jeroboam would have had to wait for a long time. For that prophecy to be fulfilled, Rehoboam had to do wrong. Do you know, God is so merciful. If Rehoboam had refused to listen to anybody at all, but had gone to the temple to kneel down and say, Oh God of heaven, the God of my father David, I know you are angry about the latter days of my of course, immediate father Solomon. Have mercy on me. Let me do what is right. Let me not do what is wrong. Ahijah would have gone back to Jeroboam and said, Go back to Egypt. We don't need you now. That's where he came from. God will have said to Rehoboam, because of this thing that you have done, the word I spoke against your father's house is hereby in suspension. That was what happened in Nineveh. Jonah went, 40 days, Nineveh, you are smoked. The Ninevarians said, what? Why should we be smoked? Say, your iniquity and your sins. The king said, we're in trouble. That guy is a real prophet. We have less than 40 days to repent. So they did emergency repentance. They were wicked people. They did emergency repentance. They repented so hard. <laughs> God said, no, nothing. Jonah said, what do you mean? You made me come here to prophesy. Judgment was suspended. Please, I'm, I need to emphasize that. that this is God that placed a curse on people who decreed judgment against them. And they did what was right, and the judgment couldn't come down. When God op- opened his mouth also and declared against Nebuchadnezzar, and so um, um, Daniel interpreted that dream, do you know that Daniel said to him, Sir, there's something we can do. He told him, break off from doing iniquity. Show mercy to the poor. Give me a number of strategies. And said, if you do this, peradventure there will be a lengthening of the days of your prosperity. That was a man of understanding. And you know what? God he didn't, he wasn't angry. He said, okay, fine. Listen to Daniel. That will be fine by me. And the man listened to Daniel for a short while. But men can forget. Oh, human beings forget. Prosperity is dangerous. It makes you forget. So he forgot. And God said, this boy, don't worry. Daniel, I knew he would forget. Don't worry about it. He was walking around one day. He says, this is not Babylon the Great, which I by myself built with the strength of my mind for the glory of my majesty. Because that's what I was talking about. Of course, the decree was released against him, and divine judgment came upon him. But he could have suspended that judgment if he did not do what was wrong. I hope you're getting my point here. That's the way it works. What's the name of that high priest that served David? He was a descendant of Eli. Even though he uttered a word against him, his whole family, God said, God said from, that the prophet said, God said, from now on, you no longer priest, you, you will no longer be priest before me. I'll look for another priest. Your descendants, they will, that is poverty, they will 
come to my own priest and beg for a morsel of meat. He said that to Eli. Hophni died, Phinehas died. Eli died in one day. Samuel took over. Decades later, remember Samuel was a little boy. Decades later, when Samuel was old, they rejected the, the, the leadership of Samuel and asked for a king, and Saul became king. Then David came after Saul. Just calculate a number of years. Old. Remember? This was spoken to Eli. We don't know how long before Eli died. Let's even assume it was just two years. All right? Then Eli died. Samuel ruled maybe till he was 70-something. So for nothing less than 60 years, that judgment had not come to pass on everybody. It has been, it has, it's already in effect. Do you understand? After Samuel ruled, David came and Saul came for a few years. Then David joined. Then finally David died. I'm trying to put over 100 years total here. Then finally, I need to read that one for us. One of the descendants of Eli now conspired against Solomon and the choice of God. First Kings chapter 2. Now, just by the way, because that's not what we're teaching about, so I'll just be quick about this, all right? What happened at this point in time? Because if you read the story, you'll be confused initially as to why Solomon was so rash in his judgment, okay? But actually what happened was that his elder brother, um, um, Adonijah, had... I, I won't just read what is there. I'll give you the whole story, the background. He had conspired with Joab and Abiathar the priests to have the kingdom taken from Solomon and given. Solomon was a small boy and given to Adonijah. That was the person Joab supported. There's one particular mafia movie. I don't want to go and start watching movies, so I will not tell you which one. It's an old movie. The dawn before he died, he told his son that took over. He said, when I die, anybody that calls for a meeting with the, op- the opposite camp, he said, don't ever forget, he's a traitor. And the young, the young lad was like, ah, no, daddy, don't worry about it. The guy was just trying to, you know, was afraid for his son, for his family. He said, the person who calls for that meeting is a traitor. Of course, one day he died, and then day after the burial, one of their old, reliable hands. He walked up to this new Don and said that um, Don, other party, the, the PDP Don, <laughs> as in this is APC, <laughs> has called for a meeting. He wants to have a meeting to straighten everything out. So I decided that um, for security reasons, you should come to my territory. I'll um, arrange security, please. I said, what do you think? The young Don said, no problem. But remember, his father had told him what? Whoever arranges that meeting is a traitor. And of course, the day of the meeting, so they agreed the day of the meeting. So he came to the family. So to follow, the, so he came out. Okay, so where's our young Don? So they came and said, oh, sorry. The young Don said that he will, you guys will go around ahead in the other car. He will come with the other car. The guy said, no, he's going to screw up all my arrangements. He said, sorry, he's the Don. That's what he says. And men just surrounded him. So he turned to the other guy and said, can you get me out of this? He said, sorry. He said, for old time's sake. He said, sorry, I can't do it. He pulled back. They took him and went and killed him. They knew what had happened. It was a setup. The old man knew this is how we roll. Are you getting my point? This is how we roll in this business. They would try to take advantage of my exit. 
They take advantage of your young mind. Exactly what God, through David, had told Solomon. This, now, I just want you to understand, because as a young um, uh, man, I used to wonder why Solomon was so harsh. Here, they just told him simply, your father left a young, fine woman behind. Have him given to your brother. That's all he's asking for. So they went and met Bathsheba, knowing that as a woman, she will fall, she's more likely to fall for it. He said, okay, the, your, father, your father didn't give your elder brother the throne. All your brother is asking for is what? Just your father's young wife. Please. As soon as she went in to speak to King Solomon for Adonijah, the king arose to meet her, bowed before her, and sat on his throne. I mean, second, first Kings chapter 2. But don't bother opening to it. I'll just read it out to you. Make a long story short. In verse 20, she said, I'm asking one small request of you. Please don't refuse. And the king said, ask my mother, for I will not refuse. Why should I refuse? So she said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as a wife. King Solomon answered and said to his mother, And why are you asking only Abishag for Adonijah? Ask for him also the kingdom. For he is my older brother. Even for him. Ask for him for Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zariah. That's his uncle. Instantly he knew the May God give you wisdom. Somebody say amen. amen. They made a simple request. He knew the plot. That's why I told the story of the dons. <laughs> a simple request, he knew the plot. The plot, of course, was Adonijah will marry the girl and use that as proof to Israel that he was the one chosen by David. With Joab beside him, David's trusted commander, who wouldn't fall in line. That was the plot. Instantly, Solomon saw through it. But that's not just, it's just exciting to see some of these things. That's not our message. So immediately, he ordered Adonijah killed. He ordered Joab executed. And you know, his father had told him, don't let Joab die in peace. It's important. He killed two commanders in Israel. He shed the blood of war in the time of peace. Don't let his gray hair go to the grave in peace. Solomon said, my opportunity. They ran to the temple. They said, drag him out from there. His own commander took Joab and killed him. Eliminating rebellion. But there was one man, which is the reason why we are telling the story. Verse 26. Then to Abiathar the priest, the king said, no, there were three people that plotted. Abiathar the priest, who had been with David, Joab, who had been with David, and Adonijah, the senior brother. And then to Abiathar the priest, the king said, go to Anathoth. To your own field, for you deserve to die. But I will not put you to death at this time because you carry the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted in everything with which my father was afflicted. So Solomon dismissed Abiathar. Now, verse 27 is why we tell the whole story. So Solomon dismissed Abiathar from bringing priests to the Lord. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord, which he has spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. That's how I began the whole story. That word was spoken over a hundred years before then. Because you draw it back, we draw the whole life of David. Seventy years. We had the life of Samuel. David was alive when Solomon was reigning, so I just, when Saul was reigning, so I jumped that. 
had the life of Samuel, who heard that prophecy as a little boy. This was at least 120 years. Yet, the curse had not been fulfilled in the life of Abiathar the priest until he put forth his hand into conspiracy against the Lord's anointed. He said, kiss the son. That prophecy was spoken directly about Solomon, even though it was implying the Lord Jesus Christ. But he said, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish out of the way. Exactly what happened here. It was a prophetic word they disobeyed. And that brought the curse into manifestation. Now, I began this by saying, explain something. Listen, even when God leads a curse, you have to learn the bad habit first. What the curse does is to guide you into bad habits when you like bad habits. What am I saying? So if somebody is under a curse and he doesn't accept the bad habits, God will suspend that judgment on that person's head. He will. That's what he does. He does that. So that's why I tell people that it's a generational curse. I say, listen, just end generational misbehavior. He said, ah, in that family, the men, their wives don't ever stay. Within six years, the wives will have left. Go and check the bad habits they have. Don't think that the spirit will come into the house and do the woman. The woman will now run. No. No spirit does that. What will happen is that the spirit will tell the man, you're a man. How can one woman manage a whole of you? Rich man like you, look at you. His friends will carry him out to strange places. Starts committing adultery. Evil spirit will jump inside him. Learn the ways of his father. He will not take his father's title. That's the worst one. When your father is a bad person, don't ever take his title. Did you hear what I said? He says, the of your village. Say, no, I'm not doing. Say, the title is rightfully yours. Say, give my brother in the grace to two of them. Give him. Say, I don't want. I don't want any village spirit following me about. Say, I don't want. Say, don't worry. You want me to be an important chief in this village? There's no problem. We'll go to the church. I'll tell the pastor to give me a title in this village. The anointed deacon of Eziago. Abi? It's not well. Tell the pastor to give me a title. It's not to donate money. It's not a problem. Don't worry. I shall be called the anointed deacon. <laughs> Free town hall for you people. New car for Igwe. Is that what you are looking for? Don't worry. I will use all my influence to bring blessing here. But that's my father's title. I am not taking. This is how you gave him title. Six months later, my mother was gone. This is how you gave him that. <laughs> His life was not normal again. Thank you very much. I don't want the title. Because the title will push me into some evil behavior. And I'm not entering that your bush. If I come there, I'm clearing all the trees. And we're building a church. Are you happy with that? If you are not, leave me alone. Why I said that is that so you understand when curses are working, what they do is they teach people bad behaviors. They do. One of the things I found out they teach Africans is selfishness and division. Very, they are very divided. They know how to divide along tribal clan lines, you know, ethnic lines. And that division, listen, it's always worked like that. People can't develop if they hold fast to their divisions. They can't. It's always worked like that. So if God says, this is what they will never develop, they will start doing things that will prevent development. Again, let me switch. I just use that negative side to introduce what I want to say. In the same manner, when people have been blessed, 
The blessing does not just rain manna from heaven. You hear what I said? No, it doesn't. One of the earliest signs of blessings is that people start having a pursuit for righteousness. They start wanting to know what is right to do. A blessing manifests. It's not just, you think, it's not because, you see, if, if blessings rain from heaven, if you don't have the man of peace there to hold the peace, the peace will disappear. And the word peace in Hebrew is the same word for prosperity. So when Jesus said, if a man of peace is there, it's the same thing, say, a man of prosperity. The other day, they were doing the business by the Spirit. You remember what I taught that time? I talked about a man of peace. No matter how much you pray, if you are not a man of peace, people will bring peace to your business. You will repel them. What is peace? Their patronage. Their money. So the man of peace, one that God has put a blessing upon, you prophesy everything about your business, God say, fine, I am sending peace to you. Make yourself a man of peace. Because if I send peace to people, they can reject it. Jesus said it. If a man of peace is there, the peace will rest. If a man of peace is not there, it will go away. So many people, they pray for God to send peace. He sends it, but they are not people of peace. So they reject it. So when a blessing comes, he starts teaching you what is right to do, what is wrong that you should not do. I hope you're getting my point. It doesn't work overnight. It creates a new culture. Many of the things God will tell you to do, you cannot economically calculate how it will benefit you. But God said, that's how I do things. I hope you're getting my point. And that's why we read again. Let's go back there. That Ezra chapter 7. That is why it's so important. We're talking about change. I've been trying to get to that all this while. I'm happy we're seeing it now. That's why that thing Ezra said is so crucial for the people of God. Ezra chapter 7. I'll just read that single verse. He said, for, verse 10. For Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Please notice, Ezra has set his heart to study the, word, the law of the Lord, to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Again, quickly, Philippians chapter 3. Verse 15. He said, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal also, will reveal that also to you. Like, I just want that particular verse. These two verses. So Paul was explaining to us that there are different areas of life in which we have different um, attitudes. And if God wants to pour a blessing in manifestation into our lives, what he does is to teach us the right attitudes in each area. What Christians have as an assignment is what Ezra is doing. One, they learn the right attitude in each area. They practice that right attitude, the right behavior, and they teach it to other people. I said I was going to say something along the line about prosperity. And it's very important. I'll bring it up about this time. We have an assignment from God to spread righteousness in our environment. I said it before and I'm emphasizing it again. 
Our first assignment is to do, learn what is right, practice what is right, and then teach it in our sphere of influence. That sphere of influence is what, for us Christians, is called prosperity. Are you getting my point here? Because he said, if I give you light, you know, like we say all, uh, when we are starting to study, that he will give us what light and direction. God said, when I light your lamp, I cannot put you under a bushel. I must put you on a lampstand so that your light will shine to everybody in the house. If God gave that to us as a commandment, that means he also is practicing it. He said, no one lights a light and puts it under a basket. So he said, a light shine for your light has come. So when God teaches you truth, when God gives you true light, you learn the light, you are practicing the light. He said, this is what I will do. I will give you a platform of influence to be able to spread the light. Oh, anytime I get here, I can't forget my woman, Mary Kay Ash, as an example. Mary Kay Ash said, let's talk about it in the business world. That the way they do this business is not right. So I need to teach them how to do the business. How do I do it? I will write. God said, he said, why would they listen to you? Who and who will come to you to come and listen? And I'm adding my own words now. I'm talking as if I'm the Holy Spirit that was there. Are you a pastor? You are not. Are you the pastor of their church? No. So why should they come and listen to you? Did they pay you? You only buy a business school? No. So why should they listen? And that gave her this understanding of Ezra. You know this thing, right? Yes. Now go and practice it. So Mirike started Mirike Cosmetics so as to be able to practice the truth that she had come to learn. Now, because she was practicing it, as God gave her the opportunity, by the time I met me, or not, I didn't meet her physically, but when I got in contact with her story and all of that, she had two million women worldwide essentially working for her. That's what they call prosperity. It's not the amount of money she's making, but that she could pass that principle down to two million people. Let me tell you something about prosperity in Christianity. It's an assignment from God. It's not something you pray for and fight for and show a sheet for. <laughs> no. It is that you walk in the light. Are you getting my point? And as long as you walk in the light that he has given to you, he will place you on a platform that that light can shine. And the more, if, the more consistent, you understand, in shining that light you are, the higher he raises your platform so he can cover more areas to shine. That's it. That is what prosperity is as a Christian. We have to redefine what we call prosperity. If Listen, if you want money, now I've said it a lot of times, what do you do? You ask God, you pray. That's all you can do for money. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's all. Nothing extra. Every other thing you do in life is God that decides to bless or decides not to bless. You can't. Any, listen, let me tell you something. A Christian, if you get up, say, I want to go and do this business. It makes money. Let me just warn you. Don't waste your time. I can tell you what you will discover. Failure and frustration. Can I tell you now? Ahead of time. Don't waste your time. What you bring to you is what? Failure and frustration. So just don't waste time discovering it. Why should you go and spend energy on what I can tell you freely? 
It's a spiritual principle. You know, one of the things I found out is that when we say we believe in Christ, it takes our lives very seriously. Things that were working for you before will not work again once you give your life to Christ. You say, why? That principle is not godly principle. That's worldly principle. You're no longer of the world, so I can't let it work here. Once you set your mind and say, oh boy, if we can just get this money, we do this, we do this, in two years, we'll be making a lot of money. I've told you, just don't waste your time. You are going to meet a lot of disappointment. Why? You are going with eyes of greed. Let me tell you what God would do for his children that would become very financially wealthy in life. They wouldn't plan it. That's what I want to say. They don't plan it. The thing that will make them wealthy are not the things they planned for. The miracle woman I was telling you about, she was very rich. They estimated her wealth. Last I heard somebody say 300 million. Some said up by a billion. But because her company was not publicly, uh, publicly quoted, it's difficult to say. But there was a time one man talked about the hundreds of millions of cash she had at the time. It's odd. I mean, it's hard for, for you to stumble into. Go and ask Mark Zuckerberg to give you $500 million cash. He, he will not have. He has to go and sell shares in Facebook, or you know, for him to be able to get that money. Most of them, they don't have. But what did she make money from? I read her story. Most people did not know, except you read her book, you didn't know she had heavy investments into oil. You thought she was making money from was cosmetics. How many lipstick you want to sell? How many eyeshadow? They share the profit with two million women and the, all the intermediates along the line. I'm sure at a point in time, she was making millions monthly from her oil business. But she would sit in her office and be coordinating the sales of cosmetics. According to her, empowering women's lives. And if you, if you mistakenly say, ah, I'm going to start my own cosmetic line. Poverty is just waiting for you right around the corner. Once you just share corner like that. <laughs> because you will not know the person you are competing with. That's not where the, that's not where the drink is coming from. You see how pop one bottle, pour expensive wine. You think it's eyeshadow. <laughs> You now be quarreling with your marketers. You are not working. You are not working. <laughs> you people are not working. You won't know that the person you are competing with. No. If those marketers work is for their good. If they don't work, now they go suffer. Her own God don't butter her bread. That they have a saying in Yoruba land. They say the swamp. That is the swamp. Already had water before it rained. <laughs> Are you getting my point? That the water was there, the rain addition. This one does not go away. That's what happened to the woman. People like that reaping from all kinds of corners, which is not their main assignment, so you don't notice it. You just go there, just say, take, 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 take. But they are known for one thing. Listen to me. What I've told you is a prophetic word for believers. And I need you to get this. Take your eyes off money. You have to. You have to. You don't have a choice. You are giving your life to Christ. You have to. When you get up every day, just ask yourself, where am I supposed to be faithful? Where am I blessing people? Where am I being productive? Focus on those things. If he wants to be very, very rich, he knows how to. Ah! If you have seen God make people rich, you will not work hard again. I know what I'm telling you. The only reason why you will work hard is because you are righteous. 
So for us, righteousness, work hard. Sometimes I tell my colleagues, some, some of my colleagues that I was working, they are not very enlightened. I said, all those of you that studied medicine because you are looking for money. She said, how poor you have become. <laughs> I said, how many injections will you give to make one millionaire? Ask Davido, is it the whiskey who go in there go sing that time? Davido, 249 million naira one night. If the whole of Enugu falls sick, you can't get a tithe of that money. There's nothing. <laughs> you will not get it. You see, you see people say, eh, are you serious? I say, I'm very serious. You people are here. So if you like sick people, just continue what you are doing. That is the only reason why you can continue this job. Don't think that this is a pathway to prosper. It's not. It is not. I, I know one doctor in this town. He got tired. He closed his clinic. Why? He says sick people are always begging him. So he's tired. Say, <laughs> 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 so, you know, they do a game. <laughs> I mean, he closed it. Said so he was doing something else. The Lord is good. Now, I'm just talking about what we believers call prosperity. What God does, which he calls prosperity, all right, he also expand your ability to spread righteousness. That's it. He's expanding your ability to spread righteousness. That's what he calls prosperity. Not what the world calls it. Remember what we said? Ezra said, I will learn it. I will practice it. Then I will teach it. There are different areas of life we've been explaining that. The assignment we have as believers is one. Take one area of life. No, remember what I was saying? When a curse wants to keep people down, it works on their attitudes. They have to be doing what is wrong. They have to be doing what is wrong. You know, somebody shared a report. I won't tell the name of the university. He shared a report of how a graduating class from the school of maybe about 20 years ago, they came together for a computer science department in the university. They bought computers. They gave them a space in the department. They set the computers up. Now they came to 14 months later to come and see how things are going. And that's why they wrote the report. And they were heartbroken. Why? The computers were exactly where they set them up. They had not been turned on one day. They were not even covered with plastic. For 14 months, dust had been gathering. So the thick layer of dust they saw on the keyboards were frightening. They said what happened. They said eh, power had not yet reached that hall. For 14 months. So why couldn't you even close the windows? So one of my classmates shared a thing. He now said, can you see how these Europeans are kind away our wealth? <laughs> Did you get the joke? I hope you got the joke. The person who shared that one with our classmate, he said, look at how Europeans are looting Nigerian wealth. Nonsense. And I added, I said, hey, stop that nonsense. It's not, it's not the Europeans. It's Donald Trump. <laughs> I added my own joke to it. And that person said, no, 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 it's not Donald Trump. It's Ronald Reagan that started it. Oh, we're just making mockery. That say we like to blame somebody else for our troubles. Who do you now blame for this? They equipped a whole hall 
filled with computers. Your graduates gathered money, bought machines, and said, take, train the young ones. 14 months later, <laughs> dust is still packing on it. I told you, a curse needs a bad attitude. Yes, it needs it to thrive. And when a blessing wants to come, he ha- listen, it has to. And let me tell you, it is not going to be easy. You will do things that are worthy of persecution. There are times you will go to that kind of place. They will say, what is the problem? And God will say, Shebi, you say you, want, you prayed for prosperity for your environment. You say yes. God will say, I want your next month's salary to be used to bring the wires in, set these things up. I know it's not your father's property. Do it and don't put your name on it or commissioned by, no. Just do it. Lock it up. Part of the money you used to buy keys. Lock it. Go and talk to the dean or whoever is in charge. Hold one key here, sir. Let me hold the other one. All of this with your one complete month salary. And God says, if I don't find willing Christians to give up that one month salary, that university will not make progress. Because what keeps people down a lot of times are things like that. It's not my father's business. Is it only me? Am I the only one? God said, no. It has never worked that everybody saves the world. The usually is one savior. Which committee did Moses set up to deliver Israel? I hope you get my point. It was only Moses that left the palace and went and suffered in the wilderness. Then returned with us, says the Lord. When he said he couldn't talk, I sent Aaron to go and be talking for him. Forty years he suffered by himself. I'm talking about the right attitude. Remember I was talking about that. Because then they say, I have to teach. If I don't teach the right attitude, and let me quote David Paulson. David Paulson said, we need about 15% of people in the society to get into the, let me use the word, the flow, before we start feeling the effect. He said that has been calculated based on experiments and you know, you know, sociological studies. And he said, no, you need about 15% of people in an environment. He said, was it 15? He said, or 5? Five. Are you sure it's 5? He said 5, eh? Okay, because I know that 15 sounded heavy, right? I was wondering that that's the whole world now. 5%. Okay, 5%. Okay. The point is that we need a, particular, a significant number of people to change their attitudes. And this is my message, please. Listen to this. The, my message is that you can't find those people outside. They are hard to find. Where you can find them is where people fear God, church. And we can preach to them and say, this is the word of God. And until we have enough people with the right attitude, see, the country, the way you see it, remains like that. And if the attitude swings southwards, like we say, that is, in the bad direction, then what you see around goes in that direction. The only thing that will bring any blessing to this environment is a blessing that we have in Christ, listen to this, which makes it possible for us to be selfless. Did you hear what I said? That life that is in Christ is what makes these things possible. Many of the things people worship in this world, Christ is the one that will tell you, listen, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. I asked for a month's salary. Uh-huh. What's the big deal about it? Is it going to change your life? He said, no, Lord. You are the one that gave. You can take it. So you spend it for the Lord. Other people don't understand why they should spend it because it's for who? But you, you know it's for who? The Lord. You know, and this morning I said in the back leg, let me just share that briefly. I begin to round off. That, like corruption in Nigeria, you know who can support, you know, EFCC cannot do anything. 
If Wadi gets seven term, he can't do anything. If they carve Nigeria into seven geopolitical zones and give each geopolitical zone one Buhari, they can't do anything. The only persons, the only people that can stop corruption in Nigeria is the church. They are the only ones. Listen, every other thing will flow from their influence. They are the only ones. And tell Khan, if you have their ears, that I said I have the solution. My name is Joseph. There's farming. I can plan for the farming. <laughs> to stop corruption is very simple. It's five minutes. So we'll sit down for five minutes. I'll explain it to them. i give it to them. They do it. Like I was saying about Lake this morning, we have Apostles' Creed, right? I hope you know Jesus did not write Apostles' Creed. Peter, James, John, Andrew, and Cody did not write Apostles' Creed. The early church fathers, when they saw that things were going one way or the other, they wanted to put what they believed together. So they sat down and can, in quotes, Christianization of that time, <laughs> wrote Apostles' Creed and spread to all the churches. Until today we have what to call what? The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, Father Almighty, Creator of the heaven and earth, and His Son, Jesus Christ. And then most children can recite, recite Apostles' Creed. The rest of you, I know you are forgotten it, but you are pretending. But at least you learned at the time, at the time of your life, right? It was written long ago. Things like that, chants and creeds are written to imprint things into the hearts of generations. I can tell, can let us write anti-corruption creed. Writing this is not the issue. You know, I tell every church, you know the way you do Apostles' Creed? You recite during a, a service. You now recite it every church. If Khan can get every church to do the anti-corruption creed that shall help them to design, I give it two years. People will not be stealing it easily again in this country. And what I will write, I will tell you. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that tifeth, it shall die. There is a curse. Listen, I'm telling you. There is a curse upon the house of a thief. We're going to write everything there. Anyone that steals government money and builds a house, it will fall on Sunday morning while he's in church. We'll write it there. Like that. Oh, I know how to write some divine judgments. All of them found in the scriptures. Ah, the one I like is that if you steal pensions money to educate children abroad, every child that you educate with it abroad will smoke Igbo, cocaine, tramadol, fentanyl, I'm telling you. And listen, when they hear this in church every Sunday, Christians will not steal. I'm telling you. Of course, no, the problem is that offering now. That's the only problem. I have to tell you, get ready. It's called the trial of your faith. Get ready. Listen, if Christians can stop being afraid of, as a church, of money going down, we can end corruption in Nigeria in a decade. Ah, Would I think so? Any priest, pastor, reverend father that recognizes a known thief because he gave an offering, may the judgment be shared between the thief and his household. Should I tell you the truth? After six months, church congregation, you know, for of course, harvest with harvest and Thanksgiving bazaar, nothing again because nobody is coming. Congregation will reduce significantly, but it's good.
a time will come. You, EFC will be looking for who to catch. They'll be wondering what happened in this country. You don't need to do more than that. Oh. Just write that creed. And let the church read it out every... You know the way we should read the Apostles' Creed? We call it anti-corruption creed. You always read it out before offertory. What do they call offertory? Before offering. You read it out. The truth is, I, I know the way my country people behave. If they don't have a God protecting them, they are afraid. So why they continue what they are doing is that they know that pastor is praying for them. So when you make it clear that pastor is swearing for them, every man will come and say, what must we do to be saved? He says, stop stealing. And I'm not joking about that. That is one assignment I believe the church can execute effectively. Secondly, that is one thing I'm sure nobody else can solve for us as a nation. I've seen it go up and down. There's no law you want to make. Make the laws. Not be human being, right? Now. They have a saying in Western Nigeria. They said the Babalao that did the juju, <laughs> that, uh, what do you call it, cockroach, who should disappear. You understand? It's the same one that did for the hen that will find the cockroach. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my point. Cockroach said that this chicken, they're always chopping us. What do I do? Baba was okay. All of you spread this powder on yourself. The hen came after, and the family. We need to eat cockroach. What do you need to say? Wants to do like this, or no matter what they use, you will see them. <laughs> As you are writing anti-corruption laws, the same boys who drafted this shows the other guys. These are the loopholes. Just put pin here. The whole thing will dissolve. You need to change the spirits of people, their attitudes. That's what I'm talking about. Until the attitudes are touched, you know they can change outside. Nothing. But of course, our message is that church people are praying. They have to change their attitude. God said, listen, I've heard you. Everything you have asked for, I have heard. But until the attitudes are corrected, there is nothing that will manifest. Nothing. Just like a curse, we go out and teach people over time wrong behaviors so that they will fall into the effects of that curse. When a blessing comes also, people must learn. And I've said it here before, the first proof of blessing is correction. It's not manifestation, it's correction. When God wants to bless you, he'll start showing you what is wrong that you are doing. He starts correcting you. That's when you should know that, ha, I am being blessed. That's when you should know that, ha, God has poured a great blessing upon my path. When you are being corrected, not when everybody says it is well with you. That is why, you know, like we're saying in Abakaliki today, listen, Pastors, you understand, you don't be pronouncing blessings anyhow. The Bible says that it is a sin for you to pronounce a blessing upon wicked people. You cannot say to the wicked, you shall be well with him. It's against the word of God. It is. Christians, that's the assignment we have. One, learn the truth. Two, practice the truth. Three, teach the truth to everybody under your area of influence. That is the key to change in the environment. I hope you've got to my point. Let's bow down and here's your prayer. Please pray for yourself that that change that is needed, remember it starts from us, it starts from our inside and it affects our environment. That change